Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Um, so Monday morning, this past Monday, I was at the doctor's office. I had my 12-week checkup for my back. Uh, it's been 12 weeks, actually been 13 weeks since my surgery. Um, so I had my last checkup. I went in there. The doctor said, listen, everything looks good. Uh, he asked me how I was feeling. I was feeling great. Um, so I have been cleared to resume f- regular physical activities. Um, he said, everything is good. He said, glad everything's going well. Da-da-da-da. Keep stretching, all that good stuff. So before I left, I said, hey, brother, listen, I know you're busy because all doctors are busy. Um, I said, let me tell you one thing. I said, I don't know what your feelings are towards Jesus and Christianity and God and all that stuff. I said, but I want you to know that I believe that, that the Lord sent you to me and you have helped me out and I appreciate it. I love you. I've been praying for you. I'm going to continue to pray for you. And I just want you to know that I believe our um, doctor-patient relationship was organized and directed by the Lord. And I appreciate all that you do. Keep up the good work. And he, I, can't, I think he was smiling. I can't tell because he had a mask on, obviously. Um, but I think he was smiling. And then he said these words. He said, you're welcome. I'll take Jesus' help. And I thought, sweet, man, that's good. And then I left, I got in the car, and I was driving from High Point to the office here, and something hit me, something kind of rubbed me wrong. I thought, wait a minute. Like, did that joker, like he said, I'll take Jesus' help. And all of a sudden, I, assuming it was the Lord, spoke to my spirit, I thought, that's a problem. Now listen, he probably meant it in a good way, right? And I'll tell you what the problem is here in a minute. He probably meant it in a really good way. He probably wholeheartedly meant he'll take the Lord's help, whatever. And I get what he's saying, and there's nothing wrong with saying that. But I think uh, the perspective and the attitude is wrong with what he said. And if I ever get a chance to talk to him again, I'm going to share this with him in a loving and nice kind of way. Um, But to say, like, this is the way I took it, right? I'll take the Lord's help. To me, that means, like, I did my best with you, like I did the best I could, and he did a really good job because I am pain-free, and I still can shoot my jump shot much better than Robert Stover ever could. Um, I can still, I can do, do some workouts now, right? The doctor did a really good job, and I really appreciate him, but the way I took what he said was, I did my job, and then we'll take Jesus' help. I think our, if, if, I'm hesitant, I'm going to say it. Okay, listen, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We won't just take the Lord's help. We need the Lord's help. Amen. We need the Lord's help in our life. It's not so much where we will say, listen, I'll do the best I can do. I'm going to work the hardest. I'm going to do the best. I'm, let's take this doctor, for instance. I'm going to study. I'm going to know the body. I'm going to know biology. I'm going to practice. I'm going to do good surgeries. And then the Lord can pitch in. No, 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 no. We need the Lord in our life. 
We need him. It's not just so much that, hey, listen, if he can lend in a, a helping hand, that's wonderful. No, I don't need just a helping hand. I need his whole body in my life. I need him. I won't just take him when he has time, when he has the availability to help me out. I need him in my life. I believe today um, that if you have the perspective that, listen, the Lord can help me. He's great. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's all-knowing. He's wonderful. I'll take his help. No, you need him. You can't live without him. You need the Lord in your life. Um, I believe our attitude has to change with that mindset, that perspective. Um, and not to say this doctor's a bad guy. I don't want him to hear this recording um, on sometime and say, oh, Michael Jordan was talking bad about me. I'm not talking bad about him. I just want to make sure our perspective is in the right place, that we won't just take the Lord's help, but we need the Lord's help. Amen? All right, so what I want to talk with you this morning is about, is about that, is about being desperate to get to Jesus, about being desperate for the Lord's help, about desperation in our life. Um, there's a great story you may have heard before of an older preacher years and years and years ago um, had a younger guy come to him and he told him, said, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a good preacher. I want to impact a lot of lives. I want to uh, serve a lot of people. I want to do a lot of good stuff. And he, the younger kid asked the older man, said, can you teach me? Can you help me become that great preacher? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. He said, here's what I want you to do. You meet me right here, 6 o'clock a.m. the next morning. Meet me right here at the church. The kid said, I'll, I'll be here. 6 o'clock the next morning, the kid was there. The younger guy was there. The older gentleman was nowhere to be found. 6.30 came, nothing. 7.30 came, nothing. And then 8 o'clock, the older preacher showed up, and he asked the kid, said, what are you doing here? He said, I, I'm, I'm here for you to help me to be a good preacher, to be a great preacher. I want to do great things for the Lord. I want to, I want to share his word. I want to preach. I want to serve. I want to minister. I need your help to help. Remember, you said you would help me. He said, I'll help you. He said, come on, let's go for a walk. So they started walking, and they made it to a, a river where, obviously, water is because it's a river. Uh, they made it to the river. And he said, let's get in the water. And the kid's like, what are you talking about? Like, I've already been baptized. I don't need to be baptized. Like, why are we getting in the water? And the old man said, let's get in the water. So they get in the water. The old man takes the younger guy and pushes his head under the water. Like, you know, baby, like big brother does the little brother style. Just pow, pushes his head under the water and holds him there for about 10 seconds. Then pulls his head up. And the older man asked the younger gentleman, says, what do you want? He said, I want to be a great preacher. I want to serve. I want to love. I want to preach. I want to, I want to minister. The older man put his head back under the water for this time for about 15 seconds. Then he pulled his head up and he said, what is it that you want? He said, I want to be a great preacher. I want to love. I want to preach. I want to share the gospel. I want to minister. He put his head back under the water and he did this three or four times. And then finally, the last time, the old man pulled the young man's head up, and he said, what is it that you want? And the young man says, I need oxygen. I want to breathe. I can't breathe. And the old preacher said these words. He said, the day that you need Jesus as much as you need breath, that will be the day 
that you will be a good preacher. Amen? So, my question for you today, before we get, as we get started, do you need the Lord in your life as much as you need your next breath? Do you recognize the need of God's presence in your life as much as the food that you eat, the air that you breathe? That, my friends, is desperation. That's what being desperate for the Lord looks like. That's what being desperate for God's presence in your life looks like. We're going to look at, uh, at two examples of desperation here in Mark chapter 5. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 5. We're starting in verse 21, going through verse 34. Here we go. Uh, when Jesus... Uh, when Jesus had again crossed over the boat to the other side of the lake, have, by the way, have you ever noticed, hey, Alex, could you put these words? Sweet, thanks. Have you ever noticed how many times in the Gospels uh, Jesus crossed over to the other side of the lake? Have you ever read through the Gospels sometimes and notice how many times Jesus crossed over to the other side of the lake? Can I just simply share with you real quickly? There is a lot of stuff in your life that the Lord has planned for you that's on the other side of the lake. That's on the other side of something in your life. There are things in our lives today that the enemy puts in our lives that blocks us from receiving what God wants from us. And what happens is we get stuck in the middle of the lake and we don't have enough desperation. We don't have enough patience. We don't have enough faith to get to the other side of the lake. So we miss out on a lot of stuff in our lives that God has planned for us that is on this side, that is on the other side of the lake because we're not desperate enough to get there. Does that make sense? All right, keep reading. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. By the way, we couldn't do that these days, right? Because we are six feet, we're masked, we're separated, we're social distancing. We can't press around Jesus these days, right? These people were not cool back here, kind of. Keep reading. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Verse 25, and Jesus was there. Uh, oh, no. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples said, and yet you asked, who touched me? Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. 
He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. So in this story here, we see two people that were desperate to get to the Lord. The first one we see is a synagogue leader named Jarius. Let me tell you real quickly about Jarius. Um, For Jarius to come to Jesus, Jarius was a synagogue leader. Uh, So for him to come to Jesus for healing, for him to come to Jesus for help, goes against everything that he has been brought up to believe. Uh, Goes against everything that his fellow synagogue leaders and priests believe in. Um, He goes against their culture, goes against their society, goes against their belief system, goes against his background, goes against his history. And here he was as a synagogue leader, came to Jesus looking for help for healing for his 12-year-old, or not 12-year-old, didn't say 12-year-old, but looking for help for his little girl. He knew that Jesus could help him. He didn't care about his history. He didn't care about his background. He didn't care about the culture. He didn't care about his fellow synagogue leaders. He didn't care if he would get kicked out of the synagogue. He didn't care about anything except the fact that he needed to get to Jesus because Jesus can heal his daughter who is at home sick. Have you ever been in Jairus's place? Have you ever been there where you're just pleading with God for help? Where you know God's the only way? Where you know that if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done? That if God doesn't move, it's not happening. That if God doesn't provide, it's not happening. That if God doesn't do a work, it's not getting done. That's where Jairus was. He was desperate to get to Jesus for the healing for his daughter. Then we see another lady. This lady is not identified with a name or anything. The only way she's identified is by a lady um, who had a bleeding disorder. What we see here in this lady At the very end there, Jesus told her, you have been healed from your suffering. She was identified as someone who had a bleeding disorder and someone who was a sufferer. This lady had been suffering for 12 years from this bleeding disorder. She had suffered physically because of her disease. She had suffered mentally because it seemed like her disease was incurable. She had been sick for 12 years. She had been to doctors. She hadn't gotten any better. She had only gotten worse. She was suffering mentally. Her relationships were suffering because the fact that she had a bleeding disorder, she was considered unclean. And you cannot touch an unclean person. An unclean person cannot touch you. It is against the law in this time. So what does that mean? Her husband hasn't touched her in 12 years. Her kids, family, sister, brother, mom, dad, haven't given her a hug in 12 years. She hasn't touched anybody in 12 years because it was against the law for her to do so. Her finances were suffering. She spent all of her money, the Bible says, on doctors and never got better, only got worse. And her spiritual life was suffering because she was considered to be unclean. She could not go into the temple and worship in the temple. So you see a lady here that has had 12 years of suffering, 12 years of pain. And finally, she was kind of at the bottom of the barrel. She had no other options, had nothing else to do. So she wanted to get to Jesus. Side note, can I give you a side note? Half of a, half of a thing over here, side note. We'll get to it in a couple minutes. What we see here, this pain and suffering from this lady, that's what sin does to our life, right? Sin separates us, right? 
This lady, she was separated. She couldn't be around anybody. She couldn't touch anybody. She couldn't have anybody touch her. She was separated. She was isolated. That's what sin does to us. Sin takes away from our life. This lady's disease took away from her life. Sin never gives anything to us. It only takes from us. I read this quote about sin a couple weeks ago. It says this. It says, sin always takes you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you wanted to spend. Sin is always worse than what we think it will be. We'll get there in 15 minutes. But back to this story. You have this lady, been in pain and suffered all these different ways for 12 years. And she knew, I've got to get to Jesus. Jesus is there. There's a lot of people around. There's crowded. The disciples say that everybody's crowding around Jesus. And you got this lady who was unclean and hurt and suffering. She knew I got to get to the Lord. There's two things real quickly I want to talk about that will block your desperation. Two things that will block you having an attitude and a perspective of being desperate for God's help. Number one is excuses, right? Desperation doesn't make excuses. This lady could have very easily said, I can't bother Jesus for my healing because he's going to Jairus' house to help his daughter. Or she could have said, I can't go where Jesus is because I'm unclean. If I go around other people, I could get arrested and taken to jail. She could say, well, you know, tried to get well for 12 years. Nothing's helped me yet. Why is this going to help? Or she could say, uh, I've spent all my money. I've got no money left to do anything. I'm just going to give up and I'm just going to stay at home by myself. All those excuses could have came up in her life. All those excuses could have came up in her life, but they didn't because desperation does not make excuses. Desperation doesn't care about excuses. Desperation, desire, passion to get to the Lord doesn't care about being arrested, doesn't care about what people say, doesn't care about what culture says, doesn't care about what society says. Desperation has one goal in mind, and that is to get to the Lord, and you will do whatever it takes to get there because desperation will meet that goal. Does that make sense? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. How big of a role today in your life do excuses play in your relationship with Jesus? I believe today in 2021, the American church is more full of excuses than it is praise reports. I believe today the American church has more excuses not to do something than it has of reports of God doing a work in our lives. See, today we say things like, I can't go to church today because I had a long weekend. I had a late night last night. Right? Or we say things like, I can't, I can't read the Bible today because I've got to go to bed. I've got to get up early in the morning. Uh, we say things like, I can't, I can't tithe this week. I can't tithe this month. I can't give like I know God wants me to and like I have been because I've had extra expenses. We say, we say things like, like I, can't, I can't 
don't feel comfortable sharing my faith um, because I don't, I don't really, never done it before. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Like, I just don't know. Now, listen, if you have a late night, if you've been busy, if you have extra expenses, like that stuff happens to all of us, right? That's part of life. That's what happens to us. That's just the way it goes. Those things become a problem when they become a roadblock to your desperation to get to the Lord. Those things become a problem when they become a roadblock to stop your desperation from getting to the Lord. This lady didn't care. Like it didn't matter to her. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll crawl through the crowd. I'll skin up my knees and my legs. I will risk getting arrested. I will risk getting called out. I will risk anything because I know that that person right there is the one that can heal me of my suffering, and I am desperate to get to him. The second thing that stops our desperation uh, is pretending like everything's okay. Pretending that everything's okay. Humbleness is a part of desperation. Right? I'm not going to be desperate for Jesus if I think I got it all together. Does that make sense? I'm not going to be desperate for the Lord's help. I'm not going to be desperate for his presence in my life if, I, if I'm good. Right? Honesty is a part of desperation. If I'm not honest with myself about my pain and my suffering and my place in life, I'm not going to be desperate for the Lord's help. And I'm not going to ask him for his help if I'm not being honest with him sharing my pain and sharing my struggle with God himself. Pretending like everything's okay will stop desperation. Uh, You've probably heard it said before. I'm going to share with you again because I believe it to be true. There are more lies told in church on Sunday than any other time during the week. You ever heard that before? Okay, sweet. I just told you something new that you never heard before. Check one for the good guys. I believe, and I believe it to be true, there are lies told in churches all over the world every single week. More lies are shared in this place than there are at Walmart, than there are at the other stores, simply by these words. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you? How you been doing? Couldn't be better. How's the family? Great. How's the job? Wonderful. How's school? Ah, couldn't be better. Love it. When in reality, how's your family? I don't know. I ain't talked to my wife in three weeks. I ain't seen my son in a month. I don't even know where my daughter's at. How's your job? Well, I'm being honest. Terrible. Boss is terrible. Coworkers, terrible. Work rate, slow. How's your wife doing? Man, we had a big fight last night. <laughs> we threw down. I don't know if she's coming back. When we pretend that everything is okay, 
what we're doing is blocking the Lord's work in our life. For some reason, this lie has been perpetrated through the church. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it started, but I don't like it because it's not true. And this is the lie. We make God look good when we're doing good. Right? Wrong. Don't say right when I say right like that. Say wrong. We make God look good when we're doing good. No. Like, marriage is great. Look how great God is. My kids are great. Look how great God is. Job's wonderful. God's wonderful. Can I tell you the truth? God is most glorified when we are honest with our mess and we allow God into our life to heal our mess. That's when God shows off. That's when God looks the best. Not when we're doing good, or not when we're pretending like we're doing good, but when we're doing terrible and we allow God into our mess and allow him to heal our mess. That's when we can glorify God the most, is when we are honest with people and we're honest with the Lord about the junk in our lives, about the mess that we're in, about the valley that we're facing, and we allow God into our lives to change us, to mold us, to change our hearts, to heal brokenness in our life. That is when God is the most glorified. Not when I'm lying to you, telling you everything's great, when in reality, it's not. Amen. So I got a question for you today. How are you? Huh? Yes. How are you? Juan's elbow hurt. Doris is a mess. Do what? Chelsea's hungry. Thank you for being honest. My belly's growling too. (laughs) I didn't eat breakfast. Do you eat breakfast? No. Oh, I don't do sometime. I didn't today. So if I ask you how you are, you tell me I'm terrible. If you're being honest with me, say, gosh, family's terrible. My next question would be, do you want help? Do you want to be free? Do you want the Lord's help? Do you want the church's help? Do you want your brothers and sisters' help? And if you say yes, my third question is this. How bad do you want it? How desperate are you for the Lord's help in your life? Are you desperate enough to stop making excuses? Are you desperate enough to be honest, to be humble, to be real with your brothers and sisters and with the Lord. See, here's the deal. When I tell you to be honest with your brothers and sisters, I don't want to know your whole life, okay? I don't want to know. I don't need a detailed uh, list of what you're going through. But here's what I do need to know. I do need to know that you're hurting and that you're in pain because I can't encourage you if I don't know you're hurting. I can't, I can't love you through your pain if I don't know your pain. I can't, I can't pray for you effectively unless I know you're hurting. By us pretending that everything's okay, but pretending limits and, what's the word? Pretending limits, no, 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 I don't want to say limits. Take that back, scratch that. Pretending, 
It doesn't block God's work in our life because God is strong enough to work in our life no matter what. But what it does do is it hinders God's work in our life is us pretending that we're okay. Once we're honest with our brothers and sisters, we can have people loving us. We can have people encouraging us. We can have people praying for us. Once we're honest with the Lord, healing begins when honesty starts because that's when you confess to the Lord, I'm broken. I'm hurt. I'm struggling. You realize you can't even start the Christian life without confession, right? Without honesty, without admitting and confessing your sin and confessing him as Savior. That's how you start the Christian life. That's also how healing begins is by you being honest with the Lord. Two things that can block, um, uh, two things that can block getting to the Lord. Excuses. And pretending that everything is okay. Now let's get to some good stuff. Cool. Let's talk about some good stuff. I got two things for you this morning. Two things for you this morning of what desperation looks like and what desperation looks like in our life. Number one, desperation means absolute surrender. Desperation means absolute surrender. You see this lady here in Mark chapter 5. She was surrendered to Jesus. How was she surrendered to the Lord? She was surrendered to Jesus because it didn't matter what the outcome was. I just got to get to him. If I get arrested, I get arrested. If I get stoned to death, I get stoned to death. If he turns me away, he turns me away. If he heals me, he heals me. I just got to get to the Lord and whatever happens, happens. She was surrendered to Jesus, and whatever happens, happens. We see this played out in the life of Jesus, right? Think about the end of the end of Jesus's, what I like to say, his first life on earth before his crucifixion. At the very end of that first life of Jesus, uh, we see Jesus in the garden praying. He knew his time was coming. He knew his time was coming to an end. He knew what the future held because he knew his purpose in being here on this earth, and we see him in the garden praying, and he says, if possible, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, but somebody talk to me. Remember, I need you. I need you. Not my will, but your will be done. That's absolute surrender. That's giving up. That's letting go. That's trusting the Lord with whatever what happens. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter the outcome. If the outcome is what I'm looking for, amen, I'm with the Lord. If the outcome is not what I thought it was going to be, amen, I'm with the Lord. If the outcome is better than I thought it was going to be, amen, I'm with the Lord. If the outcome is worse than I thought, I thought possible, amen, I'm with the Lord. That's what being totally surrendered to the Father looks like. And that, my friends, is where desperation starts, is with you letting go. Notice this lady could not heal herself. If she could heal herself 12 years ago, she would have already done it. If you could have fixed your problems five years ago, you would have already done it. If you could heal your brokenness six years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, you would have already done it. The truth is, we can't. Amen? We can't. We have to let go. We have to surrender to the Father. And that's where desperation starts. Number two, desperation looks like in our life. Number one, total surrender. Number two, looks like total faith. This lady here in Mark chapter five, 
She trusted in the Lord for her healing. She tried other doctors. She spent all of her money. She did everything she could do. Nothing helped her. Bible says she actually got worse instead of any better at all. And so she put her total faith, her trust, her hope was in Jesus Christ. So what does that look like for you and me today? Well, it looks like instead of us putting our faith in politicians, it needs to be in the Lord. Instead of us putting our faith in other people, it needs to be in the Lord first. Instead of us putting our faith in some dollar bills that go in our pockets or go to the bank, our faith should be in the Lord. To be desperate to get to God, to push everything out, to move everything away, to, do, to not care what happens, desperation begins with total surrender and total faith, total trust in God the Father. Total trust that he can do what we need him to do. This lady has tried other things. They didn't work. She knew that the only one that could do for her what she needed to have done was that of Jesus Christ. And may you know today the only one that can do for you what you need to be done in your life is that of Jesus Christ today. Amen? Amen. All right. All right. Got a closing stuff here. Uh, we're going to sing a song. It's a new song we have never sung before. Uh, it's called Breathe. You ever heard this song, Christine? Okay. Sweet. I thought you may have. That's the reason I asked. Um, this song, when was this song written, Alex? 1995. Juan, how old were you in 95? You want to share? <laughs> That's six. No big deal. At 95, I was uh, 14. Juan was 14 in 95. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this song simply says this, and we're going to sing it, and we'll have the words for you, so it'd be wonderful. It simply says this. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. Um, and then it says... Um, your daily, talks about your daily bread. And then the chorus says this, I, I am desperate for you. This song compares your desperation to get to Jesus. It compares it to the breath you breathe and the food you eat. My prayer for you and myself and all of our brothers and sisters is this that we will recognize our need for God's help in our life. And we would be desperate to get to him. I believe one of the greatest tragedies that we could face, one of the greatest tragedies that could happen to us today, is if we are in this woman's position where we're hurting, we're broken, we're suffering, we've been this way for years, and to, for us to have the opportunity for us to have the chance to receive healing and hope and salvation and a future, but us never crawl through the crowd, us never do the things that are necessary to simply reach our hand out and to touch Jesus. That is the greatest tragedy that could happen today.
We have healing available to us. We never use it. We have salvation available to us. We never use it. We have hope and peace and a future and assurance available to us. But we never reach out and touch Jesus. So my question for you today is this. Do you need the Lord in your life? And how bad do you want to get to him? Are you desperate for God's help? Are you desperate for God to move in your life? Are you desperate for healing and hope and salvation? Desperation starts when excuses stop. Desperation starts when we're being honest. Desperation starts with surrender and total faith in the Lord. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this lady that we read about here in Mark chapter 5. God, thank you for her desperation and what that desperation means for us. God, I pray that her desperation would be an encouragement. I pray that her desperation would be a challenge for us to, to take hold of, to share, to recognize how much we need your help. Lord, we come confessing that we need you today. We come confessing that only you can do for us what we need to have done for us. God, hope is only found in you. Salvation is only found in you. Peace is only found in you. So God, I pray today, I pray today that we will push everything else aside. I pray that we will stop making excuses. God, I pray today that we would recognize the need that we have in our life for you. Because God, you can do for us what no one else can. God, you can change what no one else can. You can make a move what no one else can. God, thank you so much for who you are and for what you have done for us. Let's worship together.